It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. I know there's obviously a lot of talk, and there should be on the 21st anniversary uh, yesterday of 9-11. There's another one. 13 hours. Benghazi. We, we should not forget that. And to uh, Chris and uh, Oz and Tig and, you know, just what played out there in those 13 hours in Benghazi. Uh, and it, it's not a coincidence, obviously, of those dates. But it is also remembering that there are those around the world for a variety of reasons, but when it comes to the Islamists, for a more clearly identified reason, that want to attack and harm not only this country, but other countries around the world. And those who serve in office or seek to serve in office should have a better and clear understanding of the challenges that we face as a country internally and the challenges externally. The drawdown, the withdrawal, not even a drawdown, but the withdrawal from Afghanistan was a bloody and dangerous mess. And in the early days when I reported on the failures, the security failures, not just there in Afghanistan, but in those that came to this country that were uh, unvetted, some were screened, and there's a difference between screening and vetting, as we've discussed. All of this comes together in the bad policy and practice of this administration. We need people in office who understand these challenges. And I would put my money on a former Navy captain, a retired Navy captain, someone with a great deal of experience in the special operations community to go and represent us. One of those candidates joins me now, Hung Cal, congressional candidate in Virginia's 10th district. And uh, it's great to have you back. No, thank you so much for having me back. Again, it was such an honor. And you're right. You know, today, between the House and the Senate, there's only 89 veterans who've ever served and worn the cloth of our nation. So they don't understand what it means to to really sacrifice, right? I mean, I was there. I was there in Afghanistan in January 2021. I trained right at the Abbey Gate where the explosion happened. I trained those those multinational forces to to mitigate a situation like that. And this, this haphazard pullout, cause that to happen also to draw this together as you heard in my introduction uh that is we we have a problem with not recognizing the threat overall in this administration and yet to your point for many in congress you know 9 11 uh benghazi what played out on the anniversary as a matter of fact those 13 hours uh, in Benghazi, uh, and more and more, the challenges that face us or that may face us with a resurgent Taliban working with elements in some cases in Pakistan, uh, with Iran in other cases. I mean, this is a problem and a threat, not just a problem, and a threat that is well entrenched around the world. Yes, sir. And by believing all that equipment behind. I'm talking about $84 billion in taxpayer equipment, which includes 208 airplanes, 76,000 armored vehicles, and 
100,000 weapons. I mean, that, they're, they're one of the more powerful militaries in, in that region now, the Taliban is. And so we, all we did is we emboldened them and, and made them stronger than they were before. Let's talk about what needs to be done in this case. Obviously, President Biden, even with a change in Congress, will still be the president. Uh, Anthony Blinken, unless he leaves Secretary of State, the national security apparatus. So, and this goes to your election. If elected to Congress, uh, what would you advocate for in policy change and what what could, if anything, be done from the House of Representatives' perspective? Well, this is the problem. We've been in war for 20 years, and never once we declared war, right? I mean, we even got NATO to come in under you know, our treaty, under Article 5. We, we were able to get them in there to, to fight for us, yet we never declared war. We never put really our whole back into this, and that's what needs to happen. And, I mean, look at Australia they have their war memorial right in front of the parliament to remind every members of parliament the cost of war. Our, our guys, they just use it as a punchline for what they have to go uh, campaign. They say, oh, I support the troops. But what, how do you really support them? And then also, who do you hold accountable? Don't forget that after the bombing, we, we did a drone strike on, on who we said was the perpetrator, but it happened to be an aid worker and a bunch of kids. Who's held accountable? Where's, where's General Milley's resignation for that, for that failed, failed operation that killed children and innocent people? You know, we have to hold people accountable because if that happened to me as an 06, you know, I would be fired and court-martialed. But yet, where are these four stars? Where are their stars on the table? Well, on that point, do you expect any change in this administration, whether it be Mark Milley or any other Part of the the E ring, if you will. I mean, it could be outside the E ring, but the E ring in the Pentagon. Not from the administration, sir, because they always double down on bad decisions. It's going to come from Congress doing inquiries and uh, and really holding hearings. Going, hey, who's to answer for this? What would uh, what would a Republican Congress look like? You think, uh, or what does it need to be? Not what would it look like. What does it need to be? Uh, to in any way begin to right the the ship of state when it comes to these issues regarding our national security? So the first thing is there's going to be a lot of veterans that are coming to Congress this fall. I mean, that's just, they, they can't stop it. It's just the, the energy's out there. You, you talk to all my constituents, everybody's very excited that I'm running. I mean, I, I, I honestly, and I'm running against a ghost because, it's like, you know, Ms. Jennifer Wexton is nowhere to be found. She's not on the campaign trail. She's hiding in the basement. That's her modus operandi. But so we're coming. The veterans are coming, and we're mad because we spilled blood over there, and we've lost a lot of friends, and we're not going to allow this to happen again, not in any other place in the world. All right. There are other issues uh, that we need to take on, uh, and, you know, of course, your your expertise there, and thank you for your service uh, is needed in Congress, but this also flows into uh, budgeting and continuing resolutions, uh, not regular order in Congress. Uh, where do you stand on uh, on regular order? And also, uh, after you know, well over a decade, actually, really a couple of decades of continuing resolutions, we're about to see that happen again. Yes, sir. 16 years of continued resolution. I wrote and balanced Navy's $140 billion budget. I know how to ha- make it happen. I know how to make cuts 
that 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 are impactful. And so we need we the Congress have to give the, the American people a balanced budget. I mean, I do it in my whole household, and I don't understand what the the hard thing is. And my uh, my opponent, Miss Wexton, was an appropriator, so she can say, oh, you know, we have to work with the Senate, but she's an appropriator. They appropriate the money late, which caused us to, you know. I mean, even the defense industry, when you appropriate the money at the mid-year execution mark, then you, you start hitting these industries and also the Department of Defense for not uh, executing money on time uh, on, on the schedule. It's, it's like, you know, uh, you know, like the beatings will continue until morale improves. You know, it's, it's, it's out of control. When you look at the district, uh, and certainly, you know, Virginia is a state that is uh, – referred to as often purple, but there are shifts. There are shifts in many ways with education, uh, parents being more involved, the the population being more aware of the obvious issues related to education, safety, community safety, law enforcement. You look at problems with illegal aliens and to add into that, in your state, which was a major recipient of the those who came over from Afghanistan on crowded planes, uh, went into the Dulles Expo Center and Ubered off into the ether. Uh, you know, your state is facing a, an opportunity to shift properly. You've got Glenn Youngkin, you've got the governorship, the, the lieutenant governor, former Marine, you've got Jason Meares as AG, and you're seeing that. Do you think this continues, and what else should Virginians be focused on? So my district specifically is the cross-cut of America. I mean, we have the rural part, we have the very high-tech part. 92% of the, um, the data centers are in my district. In the whole of the United States, 92% of all the data centers in the United States is in my district. We also have a lot, vast amount of veterans. And then if you look at the demographics, 18% Asians, you've got Indian Americans, Vietnamese Americans, Chinese Americans who all resonate with me, as well as the, the Muslim community, which, you know, the Pakistani Americans, I told them, I said, hey, in 2005, when there was an earthquake and Pakistan needed me, I went over there. I pulled out the bodies and I brought relief to the Kashmir region. Now I need for Pakistanis to stand behind me. Likewise with the Afghans, there's a lot of Afghans here. I told them, hey, for 20 years I defused bombs in Afghanistan and I brought help. And when our country left all, pe all these people behind, I went back and got 162 people with my organization. We were able to – I retired, then we went, went there, and we, did, uh, we brought out 162 people along with other, all these other groups like Pineapple Express and, and all these great organizations that brought out thousands of other people. So they resonate with my story. Not only that, being an immigrant to this country myself and having served in our military for 30 years – they, they see that as a, a debt of honor to, to someone who, who bled and, and fought for them. My guest, uh, congressional candidate in Virginia's 10th district, Hung Kao, uh, his website, H-U-N-G-C-A-O-4Congress.com. Uh, so you can go there and look at his policies, his stances on economy, education, national defense, something we've discussed uh, quite a bit in this interview. Uh, but there's more on the table and culture and 
other issues are becoming more important to Americans as we see challenges uh, being elevated by the media, social media, the attacks from the left. Uh, life, we've, we've just had a recent Supreme Court decision, which has led to you know more of a political battle once again across the American landscape. Uh, on the protections of the unborn, on the sanctity of life, where do you stand? Sure, I'm always pro-life. That's the, the uh, vision I always, you know, that's the, the uh, lens I always look through. But my opponent is for abortion up to and including the moment of birth. And don't forget, Virginia, under Go- Governor Northam, allowed them to let the child die on the table. I mean, this is an immoral thing that I cannot live by, and that there's no way I can uh, stand by and, and let a child die on the table. I think all Americans resonate with the fact that that, you know, abortion up to and including moment of birth is, is immoral and unethical. And for that, they attacked me and called me things like Christian fascist. That's what they stuck on my signs, Christian fascist. That's almost like when you remember a few years ago, you had that lady that said that she, you didn't understand what it's like to be discriminated against. And then and, and you had to, because uh, of your white uh, privilege, that you had to remind her that you're black. I could never forget that. <laughs> yes, never will I be. mean, they're calling. Yes, sir. They're calling a, a, a kid who came here as a refugee, grew up in a a uh, Buddhist family, and grew up in a, a Muslim country because I spent seven years in West Africa, and then became a Christian. They're calling me a Christian fascist. So it's just it's just mind boggling. To, and, and, and I hope for your, your potential voters or your existing voters and potentially more voters, we've talked uh, a lot of policy and we've started a little bit delving into who you are. And, you know, occasionally as I've done these interviews over the years, I realize that while I've followed your career, uh, looked at your bio, your background, your policies, uh, what you've said on the campaign trail, that I want people to hear from you, and it's the more personal, who is Hong Kao? Who are you uh, that you're standing in front of the people, opening yourself up and asking for their support to go represent them? Oh, thank you so much, sir. So I came here as a refugee in 1975, and uh, we actually grew up. We came here, then we went to West Africa, where I spent seven years going to French schools, and then my parents had to make another hard decision to sent my mom home with myself and my four sisters to learn English, and my dad remained in Africa for another 15 years where we see him every six months. Um, and then I, so, you know, I grabbed onto this ladder of opportunity with both hands, and I climbed up as hard as I could. I went to Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. Uh, it used to be the number one high school in the nation until they changed a lot of the entrance requirement to uh, meet certain demographics. And then I went to the United States Naval Academy. I got my master's in physics in, uh, from Naval Postgraduate School. I was a fellow at Harvard and MIT, but I paid back everything with, uh, you know, 25 years as a special operations officer. I was a Navy diver, deep sea diver. I recovered John F. Kennedy Jr. His wife, his sister-in-law, recovered the USS Monitor, the ironclad from the Civil War, and other aircrafts and airliners that crashed. I also defused bombs in, in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Somalia. I did special operations and uh, what are called sensitive activities around the world. But, uh, you know, that's, that's what I did in, to pay back this debt I had that I owed this country. It's a debt of honor that my family was able to come over here and grasp onto the American dream. But what happened last fall when, when the fall of Kabul and Marines, you know, Marines were being handed babies by desperate parents, 
that that told me that it was time for me to get out and fight this uh, this enemy that I've known for years. This enemy called socialism and Marxism, communism. I, I, it had infiltrated our country and, and left us in a place where we couldn't negotiate with the world because we were weak in the eyes of the world. And that's why I'm running for Congress right now. When I look at the, again, the professional view of who you are, and that's why I want people to meet you, the person, and there's a picture of your family on the website, and you talk about your family and the challenges to get here, the different countries, the reason for that change, a difficult decision. How does that guide you as a person to be who you are now? So my parents taught me to, to, you know, they, they can take away your money, they can take away your, your uh, position in life, but they can never take the knowledge in your head. So, you know, education was the most important thing for us. And so that's why I'm fighting also for education in this country, because that's the one thing that can never be taken away from us. And opportunity, opportunity is there. You just have to work for it. And that's, you know, we don't get handed anything. You just kind of come over here. And, and one of my uh, uncles was a three-star general, a very famous uh, Vietnamese three-star general named Lu Long. And he, um, his first job over here was sweeping the metro. I mean, that's, he went from a three-star general commanding the, the, the most, uh, you know, operational unit in Vietnam to sweeping the metro. But then he worked his way back up. And likewise, my father came over here. We had nothing, not a dime, but he worked his way back up. We had to work in Africa to develop, develop third-world countries, you know, in places where water was not prevalent, right? I mean, we, they, they just wanted water, not just clean water, just water, you know. And those are the things I saw growing up that sometimes in America we fight for these first world problems. When we look around the world, we see the desperation and, and the need of others. And, and uh, But Americans as a whole are the most generous people I've ever met in my life. You know, anytime th- something happens, they they lend, lend a hand and they roll up their sleeves and make things happen. That's why I'm, I'm so proud to be called an American. And I hate being called anything but that. But now they want to call me white adjacent or, you know, anything weird because, you know, I don't meet their uh, narrative. Yeah. By the way, if you ever figure out white adjacent, we'll talk and we can figure out white privilege and white adjacent <laughs> and, and maybe help them as well. Uh, you know, Hung, to, you have a beautiful family, by the way. Uh, and again, they're on your website. What to, They're growing into this next stage of their life, right? This current phase in America, what do you say to younger people out there as both a father, uh, the story you've just told the audience, and as a man who looks to the future? Well, the American spirit is there, right? The American dream, the American spirit. I, I always look at the forefathers that came before us, like, you know, the Wright brothers who invented the airplane that allowed Neil Armstrong to walk on the moon. Amelia Earhart and, uh, and uh, Charles Lindbergh to fly across the uh, Atlantic. Th- that's the American spirit. You know, in World War II, when every ship was sunk in Pearl Harbor, we raised every single one of them except for Arizona, Utah, and refitted for war to send them back out to chase the same Japanese fleet that, that sank them. That's the American spirit. Uh, after 9-11, we took the medal from the World Trade Center and forged it to USS New York, which patrols the, the seas now to, to defend freedom. That's the American dream. And when you talk about Benghazi, those men held off for 13 hours because of the American spirit. And that's what we are as a nation. We, we don't take things laying down. You can knock us down, but we, will, we won't stay down. We'll dust off 
rub some dirt on the wounds and, and get back up. We'll uh, be watching very, very closely uh, what happens in this election for a variety of reasons. Uh, it, it's certainly not going to be your last time prior to the election, but as I like to say at the end of uh, end of uh, the interview, and for these purposes, your closing argument to the to the people out there, to those voters, to the parents who think about their children's future and what you've just laid out. Well, sir, uh, my my opponent, Ms. Wexton, has voted 100% with uh, Joe Biden, even in his, you know, his disastrous pullout of uh, Afghanistan, the Inflation Reduction Act. I mean, you deserve a representative that listens to you and actually is actually outside their house and talking to you. And that's who I am. I'll we might not agree on 100% of things, but I'll always be out there and listen to them. Well, I appreciate you taking the extra time today. I, I know you've got a lot of shoe leather to wear out, hopefully not in Coraframs. At least that's what they called them when I wore them. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Great to have you on. We'll have you back soon. Thank you. Yes, sir. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Hung Cow, congressional candidate in Virginia's 10th district. His website, hungcow4congress.com, all spelled out. Uh, you can check it out for yourself. But what a, what a great story. The reason so many people come to this country and achieve and, and to hear, you know, of his and the previous generation, the work ethic, this is why we fight. Join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east, on Sirius XM Patriot 125.